0: Hey, one, I think there comes a time in every girl's life where she realizes that the guy she thought was really cute and funny actually just has humor that came directly from the movie Anchorman.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I see it. I believe it.
0: Have you seen that transition happen in any of your friends?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yeah, in our college years, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why. This is a movie that I think really stuck in the teen male brain from our generation. Oh. And girls watched it and were like, this is cute and funny. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so we've all been kind of surprised at some point re-watching it and going, Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's
0: where that came from.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Unsolicited, the podcast that gives fictional characters advice that they did not ask for. I'm Owen Evans
0: and I'm Emily Blake. So Owen, can you describe the plot of Anchorman for us?
1: Sure. Um, so the movie Anchorman is about Ron Burgundy, who is a news a news anchor in San Diego. And um, he is a part of an uh, all-male news team uh, made up of all over, over, overconfident men. Jerks. Um, and they all think they're the best people to, to grace the earth. That's, that's basically the, the attitude. Jerks. Yeah. And so along comes R- Veronica Corningstone, who is a female reporter, and she's brought on as a diversity initiative to read the news with Ron. Much to we ev-
0: love a diversity initiative.
1: <laughs> much to Ron and the team's dismay, um, and so Ron and and Veronica, um, Veronica is is uh, uh, quite. Or Ron is quite taken with Veronica, um, as are all the other men in the office. Um, but but Veronica, much to her dismay, uh, who was very against starting an office romance, um, does end up falling in love with Ron, and they. Um, uh, have a a, a, a relationship, um, and unfortunately, um, Ron, due to some shenanigans on the the freeway, I believe he throws a burrito at, at a at a motorcycle biker. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, and his poor dog Baxter gets drop kicked into. Oh God! That scene is so heartbreaking. It's devastating.
1: <laughs> you destroyed the only thing I love. All right, there it is. What do you love? I love poetry. And a glass of scotch. And of course, my friend Baxter here. Well, guess what? Now this is happening. Excuse me. Excuse me. What are you doing? That's how I roll. Anyway, so Ron is forced to take a lead from the office, which makes Veronica the lead anchor, um, which she is thrilled about. She has, she has grand, she's a very career uh, oriented woman, uh, a woman, and she is um, excited at this opportunity. Um, she's been seeking more, uh, more uh, responsibility in her career and has grand visions for her future. So she uh, crushes it in the lead anchor role, of course. Um, and uh, receives uh, attention and, and praise and, and is, is becoming more, more famous in the San Diego community. Um, and Ron uh, is uh, sulking about at this point uh, being a man that's been handed things on a silver platter for probably most of his life and having that taken away. Why should that happen to a man, Emily?
0: Honestly, <laughs> I have no idea.
1: Uh, but Ron is invited back by um, his boss to to read the news once again at the end of the movie um, to cover a story at the San Diego Zoo, um, which uh, is 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 a uh, uh, sorry back up, which delights Ron to no end, and and reunites uh, Ron and Veronica, reignites their their flame for for one another, um, and uh, and then we're on to the second movie, which I am not as familiar with.
0: Yeah, I was not aware until we started researching for this podcast that there was a second movie. They were filmed nine years apart, which is sort of interesting. So the first Anchorman came out in 2004. And the second not only was under a different production studio, but didn't come out until 2013. It, it's sort of app. similar in terms of its plot line. Uh, The movie opens with Veronica usurping Ron's position. She gets promoted, and he gets fired from the same (laughs) news station. They're now married. They have a kid. Uh, Ron, uh, once more, enters deep depression before (laughs) taking a job at the first ever 24-hour news network, and he and his team sensationalize the 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. slot by only reporting on things that... America wants to hear about like how great America is <laughs> and just home runs uh there's a really uh, upsetting bit where they report on like the list of the top I don't remember how many top 20 vaginas or something um <laughs> oh God. and just truly uh, it Horrifying. is startling Yeah, uh, but sort of a similar plot line in in the beginning, and then Ron goes blind and has to learn how to be a good person and raises a shark and frees it, (laughs) Um, and all sorts of interesting things happen. He eventually regains his sight, but a much-improved man returns to the newsroom. Very good. Yeah. So the the story upsetting through line but appropriate to the era of the films which are set in 1970s uh the upsetting through line is just blatant mistreatment of women in the workplace
1: oh yeah yeah and
0: especially by ron
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely
0: when ron initially meets veronica he is absolutely smitten falls deeply in love says all sorts of wonderful things about her Flatters her, uh, but ultimately is furious and turns on a dime as soon as she is given any kind of power in their career.
1: In fact, before all that happened, when they met at the at the pool party um, and and Ron spied her from across the the room um, and uh, decided to pursue her by offering intercourse as if that's something that she would just want from him. Do you know who I am?
0: No. I I can't say that I do.
1: I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me.
0: I'm very happy for you.
1: I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books and... My apartment smells of rich mahogany. I mean, that sounded stupid.
0: No, no, that's very exciting.
1: Listen, can can I start over again? Sure. I want to say something. I want to put it out there. Mm -hmm. And If you like it, you can take it. If you don't,
0: send it right back. Mm -hmm. I want to be on you.
1: Wait, 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 wait. So right off the the bat, he has this assumption.
0: Right there with the confidence of the naked man, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Women are often typecast in one of three roles. They might be a mother figure, they might be a seductress, or they might be a witch. And it's startling how quickly Ron transitions from viewing Veronica as a sex object, as a seductress, To a witch. And I mean, he and his news team really set out to make her life miserable. Uh, When the news is cutting out, he and Veronica insult each other and say terrible things. (laughs) They they do all kinds of prank calls. And at one point, he even bribes another employee at the news agency to introduce Veronica as Tits McGee. (laughs) Oh, God. You're watching Channel 4 News with five time Emmy Award winning anchor Ron Burgundy and Tits McGee. Good evening, San Diego. I'm Veronica Corningstone. Tits McGee is on vacation.
1: And I'm Tits. I'm Ron Burgundy. <clears throat> yeah.
0: Can you imagine being in a professional role and being introduced as Ron Burgundy and Tits McGee?
1: <sighs> no, no. No, I can't. And it's and and, and you, you like to think that things like that in this movie are, are over over. Uh, uh, sorry, let me back up. You, you like to think that things that like that that happen in this movie are over dramatized, but they're probably not.
0: No, I think women often are belittled enormously in their careers and really treated in unprofessional ways. No matter what their role is. In fact, the higher they get in a company or organization, I think those, those mistreatments often become more. They have to spend a lot more time defending their credibility and explaining why they deserve this role, let alone being taken seriously when they give any kind of directive or... Yeah you know, try to actually fulfill their role.
1: Yeah. We see Veronica, um, go into, um, her boss's office, um, and, uh, state, state her case that, you know, she's been doing good work, um, and deserves to take on some more serious stories. Um, other, before that uh, she had been assigned to report on the, uh, a cat fashion show, I I believe it was. Um, Mm -hmm. and so at this point she's proven herself, uh, shown that she's dedicated, um, and and wants to be successful and her her boss uh, says oh great yeah that sounds awesome and then assigns her another bs news story um, and pretty much writes her off
0: absolutely and that's something that women experience all the time when they ask for more opportunities mm-hmm. um what's almost more troubling is that Ron openly acknowledges that Veronica is very good at her job and is enormously successful and he wants her to fail anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um the the other men on the news team uh, accuse her of um only pursuing a relationship with Ron uh, as a way to advance her career. Um you know, and
0: how many times have we heard the sleep your way to the top narrative, mm-hmm, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what a woman tries to do, it's it's wrong in, in some way.
0: Right. And while it, it would be almost sort of kind of comforting if we could look at Ron and say, well... It must be something to do with their former relationship. He actually treats all of the women in the workplace this way.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: In the second movie, he is briefly, after being fired, working as an announcer at SeaWorld. And during one of his introductions, he asks the dolphin trainers to kiss, like, in front of a crowd while they're just working with the dolphins. <sighs> um and at the beginning of the second film, he also fails to recognize his new boss, who is a black woman, mm. and they frame the whole scene around her blackness, and that is entirely legitimate, also. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't. There are all kinds of reasons that he might not have recognized her as an authority figure. Yeah. Her blackness is certainly one of one of them, but mm-hmm. her her gender is another, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, later in the film, he has the audacity to call her little mama his boss. Oh. He calls his boss little mama um, oh, and says he'd hit her if she weren't a woman. And then she she clocks him. I mean, she beats the living daylights out of him, which is also not good. But as, an, as a viewer but in well this particular deserved. scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I had an experience once where... I was in a booster meeting and I was one of two female arts teachers um, being supported by this booster organization. And the, the booster president called the other woman, who is the same age as me, little girl. Um, oh. Oh,
1: she no. wasn't there,
0: so she didn't uh-huh. have an opportunity to defend herself. And, and honestly, I was a little bit stunned in that moment. It yeah. wasn't unkindly meant like he was saying, yeah, you know, we really got to do everything we can to support this little girl. Um, oh gosh! But oh my gosh, I remember just sort of sinking into that statement, and yeah. it it is so hard as a woman, and especially as a young woman, yeah, to be taken seriously in in any role. You know, I'm a teacher. Teaching yeah. is a traditionally female dominated profession Mm -hmm. uh -hmm. teaching high school band happens not to be like that specific niche is pretty male dominated but Mm -hmm. oh my gosh there there is very little more demeaning than having someone call you a name like that and think genuinely think nothing of it
1: yeah yeah absolutely is that is that a, a situation where you were the only woman in the room
0: no there were there were other parents who were moms um and they didn't seem to think much of it either but i don't know i in that moment i didn't speak up and i wish that i had so Uh, it's possible they were feeling similarly
1: well emily i know that you have been in plenty of situations where you were the only woman in the room and i wonder if you could um tell our listeners about how that how that feels um
0: you know it's interesting In my experience, if I'm truly the only woman in the world in the room, excuse me, I'm not the only woman in the world. If I am the only woman in the room, typically it doesn't have a it doesn't seem to have a huge impact on the conversations happening around me. Like Mm -hmm. men will often make the same kinds of jokes. They'll make the same kinds of statements. They'll share doubts out loud about people's competence or the success of a project or you know whatever it may be uh dynamics start to change when there are two women and Hmm. while this is entirely my perception I feel like when there are two women in the room the conversation starts to change because women's stories can corroborate each other Mm -hmm. so at that point if someone says something that they may know is inappropriate and they may be brave enough to say in front of me it's, it's very different from if it's in front of me and another woman and we both have the guts to go, hey, this isn't okay. You can't, you can't talk about people that way. Mm-hmm. You can't treat people these ways.
1: Yeah, I see. Yeah.
0: It's also worth noting I've been the only woman in a room in situations where men wished women were better represented also. Mm-hmm. So I think we do the world a disservice when we assume that it is the intent of the participants to exclude women. Mm-hmm. Often the exclusion of women is a function of implicit biases and of systems that don't recognize the contributions of women and not of the intent of its participants. Yeah. So I'm really fortunate over the course of my life to have worked with a lot of men who really want to see women better represented in, in music, in conducting, in jazz, in any number of male dominated niches. Um, but their desire to see women better represented is not enough to actually make that change. It takes real work.
1: Right. Yeah. It takes a, a systems mindset.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, I, I did, I did some, some research for, uh, uh, one of my, my classes last, last semester, um, uh, for for our listeners, I'm currently pursuing my master's degree in, in jazz studies at Portland State University, and so I I was uh, researching sexism in, in, in jazz spheres and in, in that industry, um, and it it came it became a, a broader uh, search of of uh, sexism and kind of workplaces in, in general, um, and one of the articles I I came across was um, describing a company, a Silicon Valley tech company, a study, a study that was done there. Um, and one of the things that was found was, uh, you know, talking to, or the, the researcher, um, had conversations with, uh, I believe four different CEOs. Um, and, uh, she, uh, kind she found, you know, that, that these CEOs viewed sexism as, as an issue with the, the individual's. Um, r- rather than the 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 systems in in place in, in the corporation. And oh, that's so,
0: interesting. I recognize our personal experiences aren't always representative of greater dynamics in the world. But what has your experience been have Have you seen sexism as more of a, a an individual issue or as more of a systems issue?
1: Well, I've kind of seen the same thing that you have. You know, where I I work with a a, a lot of men um because you know that's that's the way the, the music tends to be um but i i work with a lot of men that are tend to be pretty open-minded um, and and you know want our 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 music to be as inclusive as as possible because the the truth of it is that you know cutting out half of the population from from being jazz musicians and 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 making jazz art only hurts the art form, and Absolutely. so and, you know as as musicians that that care deeply about the the survival of of jazz and and um, well not I shouldn't even say survival the, the we we want jazz to to thrive at at its best uh, we need mm-hmm. as many people making it as possible you know um, yeah and I
0: mean we have to play the numbers game
1: exactly yeah yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, by the same token, you are one of the people I, at the risk of just patting each other on the back continually through the season, um, you are one of the people I really respect for being intentional and in the decisions you make about including women in jazz. And you called me kind of out of the blue a, a couple of years ago. And you said, Emily, I'm so frustrated. How do we get more women involved? What are we doing? And at the time... You had just written some new tunes and you were preparing to perform them in Seattle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you just hired a, a band to play with you. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Owen, you just hired a band. Did you hire any women? And you said, no. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you know women who play as well as the men you hired? And you said, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But there's this dynamic also where we want to work with our friends. right? And our friends tend to be the people who are most like us. That is the most common dynamic because we meet them pursuing shared interests Mm -hmm. or in our neighborhood when we're children or, you know, we we tend to meet people who are of similar backgrounds to us. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the really startling dynamics that is hard to break out of because, if I'm doing a project like this one, for instance, the first people I'm going to call to get involved are my friends. Every person working on this podcast right now is someone that I personally know and have known for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same dynamic right now that is keeping women out of rooms. Because yeah. if you have an opening at your company, who are you going to call and ask to apply? And then who are you going to recommend to your boss?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, you really the have to be intentional. You know. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of self-reflection, I think. Um, uh, like you pointed out, that was something I had, you know, the putting that band together was something I had done kind of absentmindedly. Um, and so since then, I've tried to make those decisions more intentionally.
0: Well, and I, I know because we've talked about it since that when you've had opportunities to hire since then, you have intentionally sought out women to hire and have not only changed your behavior, but also the way that you think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you weren't exclusionary. You were just kind of taking the easiest path at that time yeah, because it is the one that made most sense. And I think most of us, when we move through the world, take the path of least resistance to the best of our abilities.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Welcome back. Thank you. Um,
0: um, is it okay to have shared that story? We can always cut it. No. I, and the last thing I want is for you to feel like I'm putting you on blast. That is not at all my, my goal here. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. Absolutely not. Because, you know, I, I think that's an important part of the conversation. Um, okay. And yeah, I, I think that as, as men, it's important that we reflect. And maybe men out there that hear that will be inspired to reflect. I don't know.
0: Awesome. I love it. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about dynamics in the workplace, and this is no longer coming from our anecdotal experience. This is actually coming from an organization called Lean In, which specifically does research on gender and equity gaps in the workplace. So right now, as of 2022, it is now January of 2023, one in four C-suite employees are women. So three and four are men mm-hmm. and only one in 20 are women of color mm-hmm. and ultimately that difference is happening at the promotion from general employee to just to manager
1: yeah-hmm yeah
0: so for every hundred men who are promoted to to a managerial role only 87 women are promoted and only 82 women of color are promoted yeah. And that's for every hundred white men. Just so we're clear, fewer men of color are promoted as well.
1: Um, one thing I thought that Anchorman did, did really well um, was kind of in, in its in its own satirical way showed um, Veronica a very, very competent, um, determined, um, smart uh, person coming up against all of these barriers. Yet the rest of the employees in the office average white men average competence or even lower um and having all these low. opportunities handed to low yeah and having all these yeah, opportunities they're not good. To them. yeah
0: yeah well and it's it's also worth noting we talked a lot about how mistreated veronica is and while she is not an aggressor she does absolutely give as good as she gets so every time the men make comments about her, she's thrown it right back at him mm-hmm. and she really can hold her own. Yeah. Right. Which is part of what makes her appealing as a character. If she was just downtrodden and hanging her head, I don't think we'd like her. Um,
1: that one instance where she became the the lead anchor man, she really had to put her foot down and say, you know what? Ron Burgundy is not here. Um, I'm the only person. Um, who you have in the room right now that is able to do this job. and even then the manager was still uh, unwilling to to make to, to air the news yeah. with Veronica only.
0: Even then he still said no and she just went whatever I'm doing it. Yeah, sweetheart, you and I have had this discussion a million times. There's never been a woman anchor. Mr. Harkin, this city needs its news. And you are gonna deprive them of that because I have breasts, exquisite breasts. Now, I am gonna go on, and if you wanna try and stop me, bring it on. Because I am good at three things, fighting, screwing, and reading the news. Now, I've already done one of those today, so what's the other one gonna be, huh? Uh, Screwing? I will be in makeup.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one um, other thing the article talked about was um, just the the rate that women are, are leaving their jobs uh, recently. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's higher now than it ever has been. Um, Emily, can you talk about some of the the factors um, that are causing that?
0: Yeah. So for every woman who's promoted, two are leaving their companies right now. Um, they're more likely, as we talked a little bit about earlier, they're more likely to have their judgment questioned. Uh, they're more likely to deal with implications that they are not qualified for their role. Mm-hmm. And women experience a ton of microaggressions, just like the person who who called my colleague a little girl without even thinking about mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, ultimately, 29% of women in the last year have considered moving to less consuming roles. And that means things that are going to require less time, that might provide flexibility to work from home, that might mm-hmm. offer more options like paid time off right um Mm -hmm. things that are going to help support their work-life balance rather than necessarily a title or paycheck yeah um and women in tech roles are twice as likely as other women to be the only woman in the room at work which makes it extremely difficult to stay in those roles uh it's it's a really isolating situation
1: yeah yeah and you know it's it's really cool to see people pushing back against this idea of work as all-consuming, you know.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more.
1: Um,
0: okay. So another another factor that we might talk about as far as what women add to the workplace, um, women statistically do more than men do to foster diversity, equity, yeah. in, and inclusion. Um, teams with women leaders also have higher retention and greater employee satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Women are twice as likely to spend time on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and 40% of them say that their work in that arena isn't acknowledged at all in performance reviews. Yeah. Yeah. which makes it unsurprising that while only 37% of men say they're burnt out, and that stat is also very high, we should acknowledge that. We don't want 37% of our world to feel burnt out. Mm-hmm. 43% of women leaders say that they're burnt out.
1: Yeah. Well, and when a woman uh, who's overworked at at their job and then goes home and is uh, over, overworked at, at home as well, and, um, you know, maybe carrying mm-hmm. the expectations of of caring for the family and, and and things like that. It's I mean, it's it's no surprise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and women, even with women without families who might not have kids are often expected to play a caretaker role. Mm-hmm. Right. We talked earlier about the three roles that women are cast in. And one of them is mom. Mm-hmm. And that mom is not just to children. It's to the other adults around them as well. Women are expected to be more patient. They're expected to mm-hmm. teach and nurture and take care of the people around them. Yeah. And especially if you're surrounded by incompetent, privileged <laughs> people, that is extremely difficult. And then if you go home to more of the same, gosh, I can't imagine how frustrating that must be. Yeah.
1: So, Emily, one of the things... Shout that out to you... Robbie,
0: who doesn't do that.
1: <laughs> we love Robbie. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned earlier that um, I think we should dive a little bit more into this idea of microaggressions, this idea of Ooh, microaggressions okay. and, you know, these these little things, it could be a comment. It could be a, a look, um, could be a, a, a little, a, a little what well, it could be, whatever. These things happen all around us every day um, and they they wear they wear on you, you know, when you're when you're dealing with it could be something super, super small, like, like you, the one you mentioned before that the little girl comment. Um, but if you're dealing with things like that every single day, um, that wears on you, um, and, uh, I'd, you know, I, I saw this in, in my school all, all the time, all these microaggressions go unaddressed, um, by teachers, um, even by, you know, uh, uh admin authority figures, um, and uh, it's, they're, they're they're tough to catch sometimes because often they're not intended to be malicious. Um, but even if they're not intended that way, if, if it's received that way by somebody else, then it's, it's still problematic.
0: So let's give an example of a microaggression, because I think it's a term that's thrown around a lot, but it can be hard to grasp until you've heard an example. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I was part of the clarinet studio at... At our school Um, and we spent a lot of time together as a group of clarinetists and the clarinetists all called me mom Mm -hmm. and at one point having been called mom a lot and not not because I asked for it certainly I finally said you guys this is pretty offensive it is not my responsibility to take care of you and I am not even sure that I'm someone who wants to have kids stop calling me mom The person I directed that comment to said, gosh, we weren't trying to hurt your feelings. We actually we call you mom because you plan game nights and innocent activities for us instead of planning drinking and parties for us. Um, And Mm -hmm. so we we just are acknowledging that part of your personality. And and it's not intended as an insult. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's nice that they were not trying to insult me, but I still don't really like being called mom.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one, one microaggression that, that I saw at my school, you know, was, um, uh, kids being made fun of, uh, for like maybe the the food they would have for their lunch if Mm. they're, um, if, if they if they often would have cultural food for for lunch and, and maybe a, a foreign smell that would um, is you know unfamiliar to to their classmates um, to, to make a comment about that you know is even though it's it's probably not meant to be uh, harmful um, you're communicating to that person that hey you're different you're not part of our community um, and we don't accept you
0: Well, and lunch, I think lunch is a big source of microaggressions, often for poverty as well. When Mm -hmm. we were kids, or at least in my school and my family, uh, I thought the wealthy kids were the ones who were getting school lunch because they were paying for it every day. And Mm. in my family, we packed lunches because it was the cheaper option, Um, Mm -hmm. or at least that's my understanding of why we packed lunches. And Mm -hmm. now that has kind of reversed a little bit. So many schools are offering free and reduced lunch. My school actually has a program where every student, regardless of their financial status, is eligible for free lunch. So while our our free and reduced lunch rate is not truly 100%, we have applied for and received funding to offer food for breakfast and lunch to every student. Oh, wow. Um, And as a result, the kids who are seen as wealthy are the ones who are bringing lunch from home. And so you might Mm -hmm. be viewed differently if you're someone who, who eats the school lunch. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And for the most part, in my experience, granted, I work with music students who, who tend to be kind and, you know, top of their classes in a lot of other subject areas and, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I have the best students in the school, but I'm biased. Um, <laughs> I have mostly not seen any teasing around that, but I've seen a lot of articles come out lately saying, hey, be pretty sensitive about the way you talk to students about what they're doing for lunch.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, that was a pretty big tangent from anchorman but it's super yeah, relevant <laughs> from
0: sexism in the workplace yeah okay let's get back on track i have a question for you okay do you think we see a lot of competition between ron and veronica especially but we also see a lot of competition between ron and news teams from other stations yeah hello west man tooth hello evening news team hey nice clothes gentlemen I didn't know the Salvation Army was having a
1: sale. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? Look at these guys. (laughs) Hey, where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? What are you doing on our station's turf, Burgundy? You're about to get a serious beat down.
0: I will smash your face into a car windshield, and then take your mother Dorothy Mantooth out for a nice seafood dinner, and never call her again. Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. Why do we mm-hmm. view those competitions so differently?
1: Um, interesting question. Um, well, you know, so those competitions between those other news stations. Um. Uh. that's competition men versus men versus men, right? These are all male news teams. And Veronica is not a part of these competitions. True, um, yeah. And so, you know, male energy versus male energy, that's always going to, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time it's going to come down to, you know, violent confrontation, um, bullying, um, that kind of thing. Whereas this competition sure, that's between... that's the stereotype. Yeah, the competition between Veronica and um, the Channel Four News team really is more around just general competence—um—who's doing mm. their job better and who deserves these opportunities. Um, that's and,
0: interesting because it's not the conversation that's had, right? No, yeah, in, in the not. the verbal comments between the news, the male news teams are all about competence and about their ratings and about who's better at being an anchor and these sorts of things. But Mm. almost none of the criticism that Veronica actually receives is about her competence. In fact, Mm -hmm. it's hard to criticize her competence. It's about her personhood. They're calling her a whore and criticizing her appearance and, um, you know, saying really nasty things about her as a person instead of about her work. And isn't it interesting that when the competition is about the work, you comment on the stuff that's not about the work. And when the competition (laughs) is not about the work, you comment about the stuff that is the work.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it sounds like you're saying the competition between the the other news teams is about bravado and the competition with Veronica is sincere. Is that, I,
1: I, yeah, I, I, that's, that's how it seems to me. You know, the, the, the men, they're just posturing against each other. Um, you know, they, they're not, they're not willing to be seen as, as lesser than another man. That's, they just can't take that blow to their ego.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and on that note, I think we might've come to our favorite part of the episode. What advice do you have for Ron Burgundy? (laughs)
1: Um how to distill everything Ron needs to change about himself into one piece of advice.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh take your time. <laughs> you
1: know, he he does he does at the end of the first movie, he does admit I don't remember who he's speaking to, but he does admit to to that person that Veronica is the superior news person. Um mm-hmm. so I think well, okay, so my, my advice to Ron and to all the men in the Channel 4 Newsroom is just to, to take an ego check, you know. Um, do, do, some, do some reflection and, and some thinking and, and come to the realization that, that um, there are other people in the world, and um, just because you, you are, you are, you're a man, that doesn't bring you any, any extra qualifications. So, Emily, what's your advice for Ron Burgundy?
0: I would like to see Ron Burgundy try some philanthropy.
1: Oh, okay. Everything
0: he's doing right now is entirely centered around himself. Mm-hmm. And while we've talked a lot about sexism in the workplace, and he is certainly a product of his setting and his upbringing and his culture, I really just think Ron has never done something truly for some- someone else
1: true yeah mm-hmm. and really I, I
0: think he would grow enormously if he was exposed to other people to whom he was not a threat whose good yeah. opinion he didn't necessarily care about if he just spent some time doing the work
1: yeah well isn't 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 it just that i mean uh when when you're a successful man uh somebody in ron burgundy's shoes i you know I feel like most, most people that you come across you are going to per- perceive as, as, as a threat.
0: Yeah, and that's entirely possible. You could be right. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Is it time to sign off? Yeah. Unsolicited is a Salty Pup production. Music by Tristan Hurd. Publicity by Allison Biggie. Audio engineering by Robbie Rutherford. And art by Erica Peterson. Thanks also to my co-host, Owen Evans. My name is Emily Blake. Thanks for listening.
1: You know what, Emily? I have one final piece of advice for Ron Burgundy.
0: Okay, let's hear it.
1: Leave the newsroom behind and pursue a career as a jazz flautist.
0: Okay, seriously. How did we not touch anywhere in this episode (laughs) on the fact that he is an outstanding jazz musician?
1: It's some hot flute playing.
0: Yeah, he's good. (laughs) Yeah. Ugh
1: untapped untapped genius right there
0: (laughs) yeah i'm with (laughs) you